I'm trying to hype you up, Lupe. I'm trying to give you more more respect here. I know. Keep the hype. <laughs> I do what I can. That's 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 what we do. Welcome back to the Making Magic Podcast. I'm Sean Jay, your host, and I'm a professional magician, speaker, and 3D designer. And this is all about inspiring interviews with the movers, the shakers, the visionaries, and the makers, the wizards behind the curtain that make the magic for you. Now, if it's your first time tuning into the show, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to watch this stuff. I really do mean that when I say that because this is a labor of love and a project of passion. So when you click that red subscribe button, which you should do if you haven't already, that's the way to go. Support this show. Perhaps you're just uh, listening to the sound of my voice on an app like Spotify, or we just recently got listed in the Apple Podcast Store app thing. If you, you, know, you click the purple app on your phone or your watch or your iPad, Type in Making Magic with Sean Jay, you'll find the show. Hopefully you'll decide to leave a healthy five-star review if you're enjoying my work and this show and you get something out of it. So without any further ado, let's check out my next guest who is the owner and manager of Nielsen Magic, a legendary company that specializes in a line of magic apparatus for magicians and the buying, selling, trading and reproduction of vintage magic posters. After a lifetime of traveling with magic several years ago, she settled down and decided to start learning the nuances of fine woodworking. Working with her hands is very satisfying and knowing that she makes heirloom quality items of long lasting beauty is very rewarding and it's a great experience for her. So I'm really excited to dive into this interview with this very talented woman. Enjoy my insightful interview with the one and only Lupe Nielsen. Check it out. Hey Lupe, welcome to Making Magic. Thanks so much for being here. Hello Sean, how are you doing? I am great, I am great. I'm so happy to have you here just not only for the for the diversity's sake of this program, but just because you really fit the bill as okay. far as what I'm looking for uh, as a guest in the show. Okay. So um, I'd always like to open the show with a story, and I'd like you to tell us the story of the very first thing that you, Lupe Nielsen, made. It could be uh, good or bad, and funny stories are always welcome. Okay, the first item that I made by myself when I was a kid was a square circle. Now, uh, I also made a, with my brother because I was at the time probably like 12 years old. So I made with my brother a, uh, a substitution trunk. So made that uh, probably at around the age of 12 or 13. That's and impressive. Handling the power tools because we only had a, uh, a track saw at that time. And so we had the track saw and we had hand, hand saws. We had, we almost didn't have any tools. So uh, what happened was I acquired a set of Abbott's plans for, uh, for a substitution trunk. 
And I told my brother, hey, let's make this. So we went over to the uh, hardware store or the, or the big box store and got some oak, which was a really dumb material to use because <laughs> oak is so heavy and so clunky. But I didn't know any better. I right. was a kid. So, uh, so my brother was handling the big, big, uh, scary power tools. And, you know, I was reading off the plans. Okay, we need to cut uh, this, this length of wood, this length of wood. So between the two of us, we managed to make a, a nice substitution trunk. So, wow. Do you have an estimate about at that time? But, but by myself, I used to make a lot of uh, a, a things that were lighter in nature, smaller props. So I made a, uh, a square circle. Uh, made have made a, a bunch of other little props, you know, that I used throughout and whatnot. And of course, uh, you know, the magicians with their secrets, uh, like like uh, a turner restored newspaper uh, or or using rope, doing prepping the ropes for for Professor's Nightmare and smaller effects like that. Uh, as a kid or a teenager, that's pretty cool. You get to make your own, you know, little props that you need need on a weekly basis to do your show. That's fantastic. And do you happen to remember like a rough estimate of how heavy that thing, that sub trunk weighed, <laughs> all no oak? I have no clue because you see what happened in, in Panama, uh, where I grew up, uh, we didn't have a workshop. I lived in an apartment, an apartment building. So- uh, Get it. They were, we, we worked on it over at, my father was a radio engineer. So there was uh, a, an area uh, if, from the radio station that he worked in where they, were, they had the transmitter and an antenna for a radio station. And then, and they had, of course, uh, a, a, like, like a, a, an area that we could use. And so we brought all the tools up there and we could use that. And that area was used by people to fix cars or to, or to make things. So you had your, you had your makeshift space. You didn't have a space, professional yeah. studio uh -huh. <laughs> like, right. like, uh, like Nielsen magic has now you've got a more of a professional setup, but you were just making do with what you had in Panama, okay. right? And, and that's how, that's how a lot of people start. You know, it, it's just as long as you have a space and you have the tools and you have the, the knowledge, and even if you don't have the knowledge, right, you can always, you can always learn as you go, which is I'm sure you did plenty of that, right? Well, that's, that's basically what you have to do in order to make anything or to learn anything in life is just plunge in and do it. And eventually it seems like all the forces in the universe will, join and they and the, there's uh the the skies open and the windows and of opportunity open and then you start meeting the right people that will teach you the right way to uh get something uh built or or whatever your wish is if you if you have if you truly have the desire you'll eventually meet the right people that will give you some guidance in on how to get better love it love it great words of wisdom that our viewers and listeners need to hear. What, what, was there a particular clear-cut reason why you made those things to start off with? Was it something that you always wanted to make or was it just the most accessible that you could with the tools or? Uh, basically accessible with the tools and uh, why not try making uh, a trick? I mean, I, I grew up in Panama, which is in Central America. So it, it wasn't easy 
to uh, there was no access to any magic shop. So we didn't have magic shops or anything. And I was just learning from books or from the library or, or a few things that I ordered from overseas and whatnot. So if you don't, do not have access to the props themselves, sure. you have to be creative and make them. Yeah, it's almost, I, I, it seems to be a trend with, with many magicians, not only magicians, but just anybody who's kind of put in that situation when you're, when you start off with a very limiting situation, as most people would say, materially, you know, yeah. financially, exactly. uh, it forces you to, to put your back against the wall and figure out how am I going to get creative? How am I going to make this happen? I have this goal or this deadline, but I don't have the normal tools that most people would have. How can I work around that? Exactly. And that's, uh, that's been kind of like, just how, how you live, basically. You're just always, any, any obstacle, you're just very good at working around yeah. obstacles, uh -huh. which is... Uh, and, and I think that, that uh, if you don't have the means uh, or access to a shop, it is a, a great opportunity uh, to, to, to uh, get creative and figure out a way of doing things. And sometimes you can develop your own style, your own technique, your... Uh, your own way to make things as well. Yeah. I remember. I remember hearing a story about the the, uh, the legendary performer Finn John, and he said the same thing. I th I think it was Finn John that said something like, "I didn't own any regular magic books when I was growing up. In fact, I didn't have any, and so I just started playing around and just kind of with whatever I can get my hands on, and it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. Exactly. Just yeah. to to, to not go from zero to this structure that is the magic world that we live in and there's these techniques and tools that we can learn. But when you, when you don't have any of that, it's just kind of like the sky is almost the limit. And then you, you start thinking in strange and unique ways that you never would have thought about had you been given that framework to start with. Exactly, yeah. And then it's just funny because uh, every single plan that I read from uh, a, uh, plans that are for magic and non-magic plans for uh, furniture making or in woodworking magazines or whatnot, there, there's always a mistake. Always, 100%. There, you, can, you can pinpoint the mistakes as you go along, as you start the build. And the reason for that is not, it probably is not purposeful, but you have the inventor of the trick then you have the person that is writing the instructions and you have another person drawing the plans. So that's an endeavor between three people. So there's a lot of, of room for mistakes. There. Telephone game, basically. Yep, exactly. So, uh, so the Abbott's plan had a very weird way on the, on the uh, secret, a secret thing in the, uh, in the sub trunk. And, it took us a while to figure it out. How in the whole world does this thing work? So we eventually figured it out. But the same with furniture. Uh, when I, I encountered uh, plans for, from other furniture builders that are uh, put in a magazine or whatnot, there is, I always expect a mistake, always find it yeah, as, you, as you start building it. That's interesting because I would think that a beginner or may, maybe this was you when you started it would it would be very frustrating because like for me 
I would go out and get a plan and go, okay, I got the, the blueprint how to make this thing. Now I could finally make this thing. Now I, all I have to do is follow it step by step and yeah. I'll be good. Yeah. And then it's like, how come this is at that angle? This ain't gonna work, right? Exactly. So that's why when you start a build of whatever you're building, and uh, my, my, my favorite thing to make is, is just regular furniture. So when you start a build, uh, you do not, uh, th there are certain magazines or certain publications that as you give you a cut list, do not follow the cut list. <laughs> you basically have to start uh, seeing what is the, uh, what is the, the, the essence of this piece? What, is, what are the main supports? You start from those supports. You, if, or, or from the bottom up. So you start cutting as you, as you go along. And then you use a cut list as a guide, but never cut all the parts at once. So you say, okay, this thing is made out on a platform or on a, on a uh, structure measuring uh, four feet by two feet. Mm -hmm. Okay, you start building that. You just cut the parts for that. And then, all right, now we have to make the other part of the structure. What does it contain? And then you start cutting as you build. And it is a, it is a far better method of building things. And as you start doing it step by step, you will start discovering the mistakes. And then you will start doing your problem solving. Because if something doesn't fit with something else, it, you're still not out of material because you haven't done the cut list yet. Yes, yes, and the the few woodworkers that I have worked around and worked with that have helped me with things, they always tell me, you know, measure twice, cut once. You can, yep. you can always take wood off, but you can't put it back on. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess you can with wood glue, but it's never the same. Never the same. It's just never the same. So no, this this is all this is all great great advice um, you know most people would 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 follow a cut list I would think and because it's so easy to get all excited about what you're gonna build exactly. and then you just go let me let me get let me get it all taken care of let me go to the shop get it all and then you realize you don't have enough or you have too much you've wasted yeah. and, and I have to give a, a credit to uh, to the first proper um, a cabinet maker or or fine woodworker that I took classes from and it was a, it's a lady here in town, and uh, basically she she did, did, never liked to measure, didn't like to measure, and didn't like to follow plans. Hmm. So that approach uh, was very liberating. Now that that I have had a, over a decade of doing furniture, uh, it it has been a very liberating approach. And other friends that I have known uh, that we follow that philosophy has been a very liberating approach to furniture making. Because now if I want to make a certain piece, I don't have to wait or look for the plans. I just look at it and see uh, what does that piece need. And you, of course, study the proportions and you just start building it. You, you, don't, you don't need the cut list, you don't need a plan. And the way to avoid measuring, there are a lot of, of tricks and tips that you can do to avoid uh, measuring. Uh, and there are setup blocks. There are ways to cheat and 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 do uh, a build with with minimal measurements. Seriously, and it's it has it has been quite rewarding.
Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, to, I, I heard another quote as well. I, I, I wish I could remember who this, it's not mine, but I read it in one of the magic books or publications, talking about the easy way versus the hard way. Actually, I do remember where this came from. Maximum Entertainment by Ken Weber. Okay. In the book, he talks about the easy way versus the hard way. Yes, this is Ken Weber. And he said something about talking about everything that goes into making great shows, you know, so many multi-layers, not just learning the trick and doing the trick. There's scripting, there's lighting, et cetera. You know all that. Um, and he said a lot of people get frustrated because they just want to take the easy way out and just get to the stage. That's kind of the easy way per se. The hard way is doing everything else, all of the other uh, pieces that make this beautiful puzzle. And he said, it's in the short run at, at first glance, it is the hard way, but after working with and figuring out how this hard way works, it gradually becomes the easier way. Exactly. The hard way becomes the easier way because you do the hard work of memorizing the script, for instance, which is to a lot of performers just boring and nobody cares about that, but you, be, you realize how it becomes the easy way because then when you step on stage, boom, it's like autopilot, you can just go. Exactly and then yeah. it's the easy way. So you did that with uh, the woodworking thanks to your instructor. Now, I mean, that must have been, I would think it would frustrate a lot, lot more than it would excite just to say, oh, no, we don't have plans. We're just gonna just, just kind of play around. And no, it, 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 it is actually rather liberating. It's, it's just amazing. And, and I went to a, a, a woodworking school last year. I was there and it, uh, which was pretty interesting because most of the students were already at an intermediate to advanced level. And so everybody, nobody was a beginner, but there were a few engineers in the, uh, in the, as, amongst the students. And it was interesting to see the engineering way of doing things and the woodworking practical way <laughs> of doing things. The, the people that do a lot of woodworking tend to be more practical and ap ap approach. You have one piece of wood, if you want, to, want another piece of wood the same size, you use the first piece to measure, uh, you know, me measure the rest. You would think, right? It's common right. sense, right? right. Common sense. And uh, engineers don't do that. Engineers have to take a tape measure and measure it to exact, exact uh, <laughs> measurement. And uh, it, it's, it's just, so, so the few people that, uh, we're the woodworkers watching the engineers work, oh God, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. And they get they get so anal, so OCD yeah. that that at a moment you you start losing they start losing that sense of of the whole structure of the thing. They get to the details. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that approach. Uh, there are many ways to do it, but it, you know everybody has has their method. Mm -hmm. But then regarding the magic that you were saying, uh, that what Ken Weber is referring there to is to to look at the whole. And of what, what you want to accomplish. And then what he's trying to give you is a sense of structure or a foundation. Once you get your foundation all set up, then everything just falls into place very smoothly. Correct, you got it, Lupe, yes. And going back to those first uh, initial pieces, I don't know, you may have mentioned this and, uh, so far, but I, I may have missed it. Was there anything specific that you learned from making those first initial pieces, the square circle, the sub trunk, what was like the big takeaways? 
they were a means to to an end at that time. Okay. My goal was just to perform magic, and I just needed props. Oh, simple, simple goal, and so just simple thing. Okay, we need to. I need a, a a big production square circle. Is a perfect production item. Pretty easy to perform. Easy to to make. Really, so it was a means to an end. So, so uh, my focus at that time when I was beginning magic was to perform magic and I perform as much as I could. So I was, I was out as a teenage magician performing every single weekend, you know, three, four, five shows a weekend and, you know, just, just go one after the other. So awesome. that was, that was my, my, my whole goal at the time. So it wasn't necessarily building things. Now, uh, eventually, I went to theater school, and my specialty, I wasn't attracted to the acting part of theater. I was attracted to the backstage part okay. of, of theater. So then eventually, uh, again, it was building things, and uh, it was uh, stage carpentry, which was is, is, is quick and dirty. Get it done, make it look good from the front. It doesn't <laughs> matter what it looks from the back, as long as it's well supported and and well and stable because in a few weeks you're going to eat, strike strike the set basically and throw it away tear it down yeah yeah so yeah so that that, that kind of that's where i was actually going i, I was going to ask what what was that transition moment where you went from just using it as a means to an end then being interested in the backstage theater stagecraft then there must have been at some point where you realized you had a natural talent towards doing that stuff, right? Yeah, I like working with my hands, basically. And, okay. uh, and yeah, it's just, um, it, it, I like the people backstage. Uh, in, in the theater world, I, I enjoy the backstage. Uh, uh, there's different personalities in, in whatever endeavor you, you go to. So you have the acting part, they're more emotional, more touchy-feely type of personality, mm -hmm. uh, more, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they are, they're much more emotional in, in feeling. The uh, backstage people are more pragmatic, are just, hey, you know, big deal. We're just putting a show here, <laughs> you know, right. actors, they can do their own thing there, but yeah, we're just getting, we're just nailing a bunch of things together and they have their set and we just sit back, watch and enjoy the show. So it's a, it's a more pragmatic attitude to, to life and, and to problem solving in general. And I, I like that. So I uh, didn't like to get all, all emotional. All worked up for nothing, right? About a play. Come on. It's, it's just a play. It's, it's just a play. It's called yeah. a play because yeah. you're supposed to be playing and that's what you did backstage, yeah. right? just a play though it's not brain surgery people <laughs> so don't take it too seriously you know we're just having fun here so uh it's, it's it probably fit my personality i just like to work with my hands and okay uh, uh and just uh be backstage and have fun you know fair enough fair enough just following the your natural inclinations and tendencies and it just organically evolved into the the way the way your life has been to just focusing even more on that i guess yeah cool cool and and knowing what you know right now just with all of your life experience work doing all of your amazing work with nielsen magic and everything prior is there anything that you would have wished you would have told your younger self to avoid making the mistakes that okay. you made when you were much younger 
I don't know. Let's see. Uh, basically, everything, all my life experience has uh, added up to who I am now. Sure. And right. uh, it, it, the mistakes that one makes in one life is what teaches you the most. So I have no regrets. Everything has been for a reason. Um, I wish I would have probably uh, learned more of the technical things beforehand or even develop more knowledge, uh, taking advantage of more, even more opportunities that I had. And sometimes I didn't take those opportunities as I should have, but everything is fine. Everything developed smoothly and it's, it made me the person who I am today. So I have no, no regrets. Everything has been fine. That is why we love you, Lupe. It's like, that's your, that's your, just your whole life attitude. See, there's, there's, there are always different ways of viewing things. You know, when, when, when things happen to people, good or bad, oftentimes people always take the negative approach. They go, oh yeah, that will, you know, if it's a good thing, person will go, oh yeah, that happened just because I got lucky, <laughs> rather than being grateful for it. Or if, you know, something bad happens, then the person will say, oh, well, yeah, it's because I suck or this and that. But that's, that's why, you know, I, I love the way you think, because instead of taking the negative approach, you understand and you accept. You yeah, say, you know, I was younger. I'm allowed to make mistakes. Of and course. then you learn from and them. You learn from your mistakes more than you learn from your successes. And if, if you a good suck, point. great. You know, if you suck, it's fine. You, <laughs> I, I, I'm so grateful that when I was a kid, uh, you didn't have social media. Or, or people taping you on a phone or, or watching too carefully and, and you sucking and it was all over YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. You have the opportunity to suck, yeah. So you have the opportunity to suck, to have your successes and everything else. And, and thank God there wasn't any social media. When we that's were because yeah, you don't want that a part of your legacy. No, you just want- it is in the past, forget it, you know. You think about the now, what you are now. That's good. That's no. That's that's great. You're actually, I think, the first guest that I've interviewed thus far that has put it that way. Everybody usually can pinpoint something that they just some big regret, but it's it's nice and refreshing to know that that's uh, that's great. That's great. So, okay, switching gears a little bit. Back, well, actually back to what you do with your hands, the amazing things that you make with your hands. Can you tell us about something like your favorite thing that you've recently made? Favorite thing? Yeah. Let's see. Uh, it, does it have to be magic? Doesn't. It can be whatever you want that I you just, made. I just, love, I just love making furniture. It's just, it's, that's just my thing now. Uh, right now, uh, it, due to health reasons, I have not been able to, to, to make, uh, to make uh, to work on more projects that I would like to. Understood. But, uh, but let's see, on the magic part, let's, let's go to the magic part. I made the, uh, the visible block penetration. Uh, there it's a, a, a trick that Okido made in the 1950s. Okido was a magician uh, from, uh, from um, Holland. And he worked at the turn of the 20th century. He had an act. He had a, a silent act. He never developed a full uh, stage show because he was deaf. So he, uh, 
he had a silent act that he did throughout his uh, he, the the early 20th century, and he also had a shadowgraphy act where he did shadows with his hands. Mm. And he worked for Thurston, uh, and he was a builder. So he eventually moved to the United States and uh, started building for several uh, magic shop owners like Joe Berg and so on. And he built, he built props for them. So uh, in the 1950s, he developed this block penetration trick. So in, uh, now my husband, uh, Norm, uh, studied with Okido in the 1960s. Oh, wow. So Okido gave Norm permission to make any of the tricks that he had ever made. That is, so, that's so, legendary. That's so cool. That is So then awesome. in about 2008, Norm was trying to figure out, okay, what trick can I make of Okido's? So he said, oh, nobody has made the block penetration from Okido. So he decided to revisit that trick. Uh, the original Okido trick used two two uh, panels of, of glass to obstruct, and th this block had to penetrate these two panels of glass. So Norm made a prototype using the two panels of glass, and we didn't like it because uh, you were fiddling too much with two pieces. I mean, the trick is as good if you have a block penetrate a single sheet of glass as if it does two sheets of glass. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, it makes it more impossible, but if you're fiddling around, your whole timing is yeah. not as, as elegant or, or, or as um, you don't have enough economy of movement that way. So Norm decided, I'm going to use just one sheet of glass. So he uh, made a few prototypes and eventually he came up with a model that we're making, that we're making now. So he did it. He made, I think, 24 units in 2008. And then uh, eventually he passed away, or he wasn't he wasn't able to make to make the uh, the another batch of it because he had Alzheimer's before he passed away sure. last year. So there was uh, Eugene Berger, in his uh, latest book, wrote a chapter on the visible block penetration that Norm made, hmm. and the uh, author of the book who was Larry has asked me, can you make the visible block penetration? Because mm. normally I made 24 units of it. So I said, let me, let me look at it. Let me revise it. Now, Norm at that time was not able to make it again. So it was up to me to remake it. And then I added a few improvements on the uh, super duper secret gimmick inside. So that was improved. And it, because the more iterations you make of a trick, you tend to improve. Mm -hmm previous build. So that was a nice challenging effect to make. And just for, oh, sorry, go ahead. It took forever to make, but I made, I have made uh, two, two batches since then. Oh, so handmade. Was, yeah. So that's, so that's that. And then uh, regarding furniture, all the pieces that you see in the background here in the room, I have made. I oh, have cool. Made the bookcase back there, the rocking wow. back. Uh, that uh, corner piece is a sewing machine table, which actually opens, you know, completely. And the sewing machine is on a uh, on a uh, on a mechanism that that is like a plunger mechanism that uh, you can push it in or out of the table. Oh, that's awesome! So it drops down and raises up. Yeah, it down and raises up. Yeah. Oh, that's great.
So all that, that this piece over here uh, is a chest of drawers I made. So all the furniture in this room is practically made by myself. Wow. And just for the people, because this is also going on like Spotify and other podcast apps where they can't see what you're pointing or referring to, just for the people who don't know what the visible block penetration is, can you just in one sentence describe the effect? Well, the visible block penetration is a, um, an old trick you take a block of wood measuring approximately three and a half uh, inches cube and you show oh. it. Yep, three and a half inches cube and you show it to the audience as solid. It can be examined and everything. And you take a, a uh, like a chimney. It's, it's like a tunnel. It's a, uh, it's a tunnel uh, made out of wood which has openings on the front. And of course the openings on the ends that, that's what makes it a tube or a tunnel. Mm -hmm. And you show it freely to the audience. And then you take a piece of glass and you insert it in the middle of this tunnel through two slots that are on the, uh, on the, on the sides. Mm -hmm. And then you take the block and you drop it there. Of course, the block is going to be stopped by the glass in the middle of that wooden tunnel. And you can see that the block uh, on the upper section of the tunnel because uh, there's a there's a hole there and then when you uh, say the magic words or you do your magic pass you can actually see that block going uh, penetrating the glass very very slowly until it pops out from the other side from top to bottom slides all the way down all the way down so that's that's a visible block penetration very very so, cool is a puzzle type of effect so uh it's one of these puzzling little little pieces of apparatus and eugene really liked that type of trick so that's why he wrote a whole chapter in his in the last book he, he wrote yeah it's funny you know eugene was known as this close-up guy but then secretly he had this obsession with apparatus stuff from what yeah. i found and he had this whole apparatus collection right yeah and it's just a lot of fun yeah, the, the apparatus is part of, of the magic as well. You're fun, fun, like yeah. almost toys for magicians. Exactly. But, but not, to, not to discount the, the hard work that you put into these handmade, you know, it's not a, like a toy you give to a kid. It's a, it's a professional prop, but exactly. magicians appreciate the, the, uh, the toy factor in the sense that it's, you know, the moving doors and the levers and the secret mechanical yeah. things behind it that's yeah. what i mean yeah and when well presented a prop trick can be can be made very special uh, there are some uh, performers that can make a prop uh, be very mystifying and very interesting to an audience of regular people so uh, because uh, people appreciate that also mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think um uh jeffrey durham you know, and over in the UK, he does some like really has some very specific, yep. strange looking apparatus. And then he builds this whole amazing story around it and he does it and it, and it works. Exactly. And actually talking about Jeffrey Durham, uh, uh, let's see, last year, and I think you have interviewed him. You interviewed Ray Lum? Recently, yes. He'll be, yeah. he'll be coming out you told me before that you. you. Have interviewed him. And, uh, and Ray it has an array of customers because Ray is an illusion builder. That's his specialty. Mm -hmm. So uh, in, there was one customer he had to make a few illusions for. 
But then his customer asked for a little Jeffrey Durham box. And, and Ray calls me every, anytime people call for the smaller props, he calls me. If they're made out of wood, he calls, he calls me. And he says, can you make that? And I says, I don't know, let me take a peek. So I looked at Jeffrey Durham's book and uh, the prop that I had to make was the Jeffrey Durham prediction box. And that was a nice challenge. I even contacted Jeffrey Durham in England. And I asked him, did, did I do it okay? Did I, I, I videoed myself performing it for him. And did I get it right? And he says, oh my gosh, you did get it right. Nobody <laughs> had made that trick. He even gave me permission to make it. So oh, who knows? nice. In the next few years, if I decide, I might make a, a limited edition of that particular box. I think you've earned it because you're probably, like you said, the only person that actually did it properly. But it was for, it was a, a client for, for Ray that wanted that little prediction box. And then Ray, Ray likes the big things. Ray is a master welder. He does a welding, the, the big things. And then anytime you have these, these little tiny little boxes with secret compartments or springs or whatever, he just doesn't have the patience for the, for the little chisely, you know, thing, doing little carvings with a chisel or, or, or the little tiny wooden penny any, you know, detailed things. So he says, Lupe, can you make this, that smaller prop? And I says, sure, let me try it. You know? There you go. Well, it's a, it's a synergistic, you guys yeah. work well together. He, he did mention you. He said a lot of great things about you. He also, um, hinted around at a, at a really cool special project that you guys are going to team up together. I, I don't know if, uh, is it okay to share that now or can I just hint around uh, at it and you can... That's, that's, that's so far super, super secret project. So okay. Far. I won't say There's a thing about it now. That yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I'm good at keeping secrets, but okay. uh, magicians who are watching and listening to this, there will be an amazing collab between Ray yeah. and Lupe combining the, right, the best of both. Oh yeah, no. Ray's well, amazing. Ray's an amazing builder. I, uh, he's um, he's very anal, very detailed oriented, and whenever I need welding because I don't do metal work, I just say, Ray, this can you can you help? Weld? Yeah. And when he needs woodworking work, you know, he comes over to my workshop and we work on, on little things like that. So, so that's fun. awesome. So yeah, you and Ray work really well together. That's obvious, and it's so cool that you guys you guys are uh, not far from each other too, right? He's my neighbor. He lives like uh, four miles away from, from my. Look house. at that. See, and it goes back to what you were just talking about, right? You everything. One thing leads to the next, and stepping stones, and you're putting it out there in the universe. And your next door neighbor is one of the the best, in, another best in the biz prop builder that can uh, pick up where your skill set doesn't want to go and vice versa exactly now so that that's is i love those collaborations and that's great yeah what maker techniques lupe would you say that you're best at i know woodworking for sure because we've talked a lot about that but is there any other type of ways or methods of building that you'd say you're you're into basically, basically there uh, woodworking has uh three things that you uh, when you do woodworking there are three things that you need to know Basically, and it is like with any any material out there. You have the people that do um, uh, sewing, uh, that work with fabric. Uh, with woodworking, you're working with wood. So 
the, the first thing that you have to know when you're uh, woodworking is how to cut the material. So the, the, so the tools that you have, jointers, planers, uh, and saws, are just meant to cut and tame the material that you're, you're using. Mm -hmm. Then you have to learn how to put it together. So that then you have a whole world of joinery. So then you learn all your woodworking joints, your uh, butt joints or your dados or whatnot, or your dovetails or whatever you, you use to connect the material. And then the third uh, aspect of woodworking is you have to finish it. So then you learn about sanding and about uh, how to prepare the, the, the material to finish it properly. Are you going to paint it? Are you going to oil it? And so on. So, and then, and probably as a, as a subdivision of that finishing is putting the hardware on. To me, hardware is like, is like putting jewelry on, on your piece. So mm -hmm. those yeah. are the three basic things that you need. It's, it's nothing complicated. It's just uh, cutting it, taming the material, then you have to put it together and then you have to finish it. So all the, all the tools in your workshop are geared to those three specific uh, aspects of woodworking. That's a good point that you bring up, you know, because see, I don't consider myself a pro woodworker by, by any stretch of the means. I always ask for help when it comes to that. So it's good because I just learned, you know, I think of the term woodworking as like one thing. Yeah. But you just kind of opened up the the box per se yeah. to to kind of enlighten me and anybody else who wasn't aware that there's a ton of other subsets and skills that fall yeah. under the name the label of woodworking or woodworker. There's I mean that's 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 so true. It's like there's a whole a whole host of things that yeah. that and then, and then at what at what level do you want to be? Uh, you have your basic carpentry skills, which uh, will help you build a house. But uh, it, it is nothing. Uh, it is not necessarily detailed work. It's just uh, when you're framing a house, it's just quick and, and very fast and very rough woodworking, because then you're going to cover all that up uh, right. with, with the, 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 the the drywall or whatnot. You know that you will eventually finish. And then you have uh, your other fine woodworkers that appreciate. Uh, a, a certain quality uh, due to the construction practices or the finishing touches that you put on a on a on a certain piece. Uh, and then there's there's so many subsets and and I appreciate them all. I I love to see uh, to to hear from uh, people that do wood turning, that work on a lathe, and that's all they do. There are master carvers that they can carve and sculpt things out of wood and that's another subset and then you have your finishers that all they do is they receive a piece and they just do outstanding finishes for you so there's so many subsets same same with magic you have your close-up magicians your stage magicians your comedy guys the mentalists and some of those mentalists say oh no i do i read minds i will never touch an illusion oh me no no i don't do boxes i I do mind reading, you know. Yeah. Or you have your snobbish close-up magicians. Oh, I do sleight of hand and will never use a piece of apparatus. 
so and then you have other guys that just have fun with the with the magic come on people it's it's just a magic trick you know? <laughs> it's just a play we're just playing it's around just a play. it's just fun so it's it's just i i get amused at how seriously some of the guys take themselves you know it's it's not <laughs> I mean, is so so you couldn't find the guy's card, so big deal. <laughs> right, it's not life or death here we're talking about. Unless unless you're watching a performance by Robert Neal, maybe. Uh, maybe exactly. The yeah. only only the uh, the uh, the hardcore aficionados know who uh, Robert Neal, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, no, I, I like your attitude. I like your attitude about life. I like your attitude about about woodworking in general, it just it just uh, makes a person live a better quality of life. It shaves off a lot of stress. Yeah. It, uh, you know, I think if people in general wouldn't take themselves so seriously, I think yeah. people would just just have fun. And the the only only thing that I have learned in this life is uh, find what you like and what you love, what you have fun doing, and just do it. And that's it. The universe will take care of you in, uh, at the end. You know, if you, if you are enjoying what you're doing, you will, you will have fun overall. Just have fun and don't take yourself too seriously. Easy enough. Simple and easy. Wise words. Yes. What uh, maker techniques are you interested in learning about this year, if there are any sure. new, uh, oh, maybe woodworking yeah. tweaks or something? That... Oh, gosh. Uh, I... I would like to take more time to uh, to to in, refine my technique on uh, on working on the lathe, wood turning. Okay. One of the things I would like to 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 eventually do is uh, is learn to uh, turn with more precision. Uh, for in order to see if I could um, make turned magic props, all mm. in bases. There's a very limited market to that, but it's very rewarding to uh, be able to achieve that because now you're not you're working uh, not as intuitively as a regular wood turner uh, would work, but you you are uh, being more precise, being more exact in your measurements because uh, with uh, like a ball and base trick, you have to be extremely precise. One mm. one piece has yeah fit inside another inside another in order to, to make sure yeah. yeah you can't you, yeah tolerances can't be off with that one exactly it's and not then gonna... have a big problem and that's that's what i would love to learn the, uh, from uh, other craftsmen that have done that but they have they're almost gone i think there's only one great turning uh wood turning craftsman out there uh, uh angelo yafrate Who's in Pennsylvania? Uh, who uh, still who still makes probably some of the finest turnings I have seen, and I think there's uh, Alan Zagorski in California who used to own Owens Magic, who's an extremely good turner. Hmm. Uh, because uh, as I am, I'm getting into that world of wood turning. Uh, you have to consider the wood itself; it expands and contracts, and when you have very high tolerances like that. It would be interesting to see what their solutions are to to uh, a, 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 to um, handling the expansion and contraction of the wood with those close tolerances. I was thinking the same thing, you know, like let's just say billiard balls, yep. for instance, the classic, classic, classic ones. 
everything, everything about them was all wood. And, and when you think about that, just the, the original method, yeah. you know, you would think it's so fragile just being wood and so not much wood to deal with. Exactly. When we're talking and, about billiard balls. And, uh, probably the, the reason they, the traditional work, ones work is because the, the secret uh, a, a gimmick for that, along with the balls, are made of exactly the same material. So everything expands and contracts accordingly. But once you put that inside a, um, a ball and base trick, which uses a similar method as the multiplying balls, then you have the ball and base issue. It could be made of another material. And then you have to consider the expansion and contraction for that. Interesting. Only, yeah. only seasoned, serious woodworkers consider this kind of, ponder this kind of stuff. But it's, it's, a very, it's a very important question worth pondering. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, so I still have a lot to learn. And I look forward to eventually finding the answers to that's so cool, and that's that's what I love about this whole making world. There really is never a time where people can stop learning because there's always going to be something different. There's always going to be another technique, another material, yeah. right, man-made, or maybe people can discover new things to do with natural materials that have never been done before. So that's cool. Yeah, wood turning is, is fascinating. What about uh, the favorite prop or thing or any whether it be furniture or magic related that you've designed in the past we've talked about some of the first things you ever made but what about the favorite thing you've ever made from the past oh my god that is that is tough to say See, i know because you make so much you have such a great a lot of things and and the thing is that once i made it make a piece it's it's made i just go on to the next thing okay so so a uh, favorite thing uh, I have made. One of the favorites, I guess. Uh, I, I would say uh, one of the, of the biggest accomplishments is that uh, bookcase behind me. It a looks big, like a big accomplishment. Yeah, it, because it's made out of cherry. I completely designed it from top to bottom. It has a very subtle, uh, subtle uh, taper from top to bottom as well. It's oriental. It has... Uh, a laser engraving throughout the uh, the doors. Nice. And uh, it it is just it's just a well made made piece that I'm very proud of. Um, and then you see that rocking chair in the back. I do. That I did it as a challenge to myself. The design is not mine. It is from a uh, American designer called Sam Malouf. Sam okay. Malouf is one of the iconic American designers from the middle of the 20th century. He passed oh. away about 12 to 14 years ago. Okay. Uh, but uh, his uh, work is featured at a Smithsonian. Wow. He, uh, uh, he, he basically is, um, uh, his designs in American uh, furniture making are, are iconic. They are like, like if you're in the magic in the magic world, uh, you see uh, you hear names like Divern and uh, or, or whatnot. That's what San Malouf is to furniture making. Okay. So that uh, design of the rocking chair, the Malouf rocker, is completely iconic. And hmm. that what makes that chair very special is that it is hand sculpted. 
there's not a single straight line except for the uh for the uh, for the uprights that hold the the handrests on it the armrests uh there's not a single straight line on that everything is sculpted by hand so and it took me about 200 over 200 hours to make that chair whoa and there was no turning involved because that's kind of like a new thing to you so you're uh, no actually there was turning oh there was yeah so there's everything on that chair oh. you have to sculpt the the seat the back of it and it's ergonomic completely ergonomic it's very comfortable Huh. So it has a it has a lumbar support on the back, and it involves everything that I have ever learned about woodworking is in that chair. That's so cool! It just yeah, so represents had, uh, sculpted. You had I had to use spoke shaves for that, grinders uh, for that. Everything I I knew about woodworking, and the joinery with that is rather involved as well. So. It's that that is probably like a that's that's like a graduate studies in woodworking. I that's why I love that piece, simply because it, it took everything I know to make to make that chair. I bet now the next time you see or sit in a rocking chair, you appreciate it a lot more, oh, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think now, people will too after hearing and seeing what yeah. we're talking about. Yeah, so so that that is probably the most challenging piece. Um, I st I still like uh, like the bookcase that you see in the back. So it's just that. And then with with wood turning, uh, it, I have made uh, a lot of things that are uh, turned, uh, but it's mostly mostly on a practical sense, uh, from a woodworking sense, plates or bowls or your regular things but eventually i want to get more precision and uh and, and dabble with turn magic props you could be straight out of harry potter lupe you're, you're turning and making these beautiful magic ones and i have done a few i have done a few for people that request them uh i am not into uh into the wands uh because everybody and their mother turns wands got it uh, so so, but when people request it, I, I have done done those, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's really a lot of fun to do that, and the the more ones I make, the more little tricks and tips I discovered on on how to make them better in the finishes and whatnot. Right, always learning, always improving, exactly. never stopping the learning process, which is great. What would you consider Lupe the biggest? DIY prop making fail of all time that you've ever had? Oh gosh, fail. <laughs> Disaster, Ooh. catastrophe, you know, uh, cut, cutting yourself accidentally or maybe something falling apart or... Nothing, nothing that comes to mind because wood is very forgiving. Wood is extremely forgiving, as you say, and if you're, if you're well prepared, uh, any failure that you have, uh, you can fix it. So let's see, once upon a time, Norm and I were making checker cabinets. And I think Norm uh, called me to the workshop. You know what? I glued the, uh, the carriage backwards or something. Oops, like that. that's no good. <laughs> yeah, so eventually we modified it. And 
it was a say it was saved it's not a big deal again it's just okay yeah it's just uh uh it's it's very fixable woodworking is so fixable it's just unbelievable as long as uh you do not do the cut list never never work from a cut list as long as you work progressively if if you get to a point where you make a mistake because you haven't cut the remaining of your material you can eventually fix it mm. so it is it is very very fixable uh problems that you encounter is uh problems with the material sometimes the plywood that you get for a specific project is is wonky and uh, like the uh, the last batch of visible block penetrations i wanted to make uh 50 of them for that batch mm -hmm. and so i normally make 54 because i know that i'm going to lose a bunch because of all the steps that have to be done mm -hmm. and i probably lost about eight I ended up with 46 and I was not happy with it. Uh, so eventually I took another sheet of plywood and I made the other four because darn it, I was going to have 50. <laughs> so I just, I worked on, on only the, the four that, that were mistaken. And the reason for that was that the plywood that I was using was a little wonky. And it's and just like, no matter what you did, it wasn't you, it was the material in this case. Be, right. And then when you, you get to a certain stage and you start cutting the wood uh, because it's wonky, your, your, your cuts or your miters are not going to join exactly precisely where you want them to be. There's I going to be a gap or, or something horrible. So I had to throw out eight of those simply because a, probably one of the sheets of plywood was, was bad. Well. There's nothing I could do, and you never realize it until you start putting the whole thing. <laughs> so you start trying to fit the thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. boy. Wow. And then it won't work together. So, is it an epic mistake? No. I wouldn't call it epic, but I would call it serious enough that, ah, uh, you know, I I had to spend a couple of extra days fixing that mistake in order to have the badge that I wanted to have. No, I. I... I feel you. I, I agree. Uh, like I said, I'm not a woodworker, but I, I'm pretty good in the domain of plastic with yeah. using this machine behind me. And it's very, oh. it's very similar um, yeah. in the sense that if you use filament that is too old or absorbed too much moisture. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. You can spend, you know, I could spend uh, $75, $100 on like some real exotic plastic filament but then it absorbs all the moisture no matter how tight I've got those tolerances and if my model I know it fits together it's just going to be a mess on that thing and it's going to be so frustrating I've in the past have blown through quite a bit of filament okay. learning that the hard way and then you learn it the hard way and then you realize that plastic has a shelf life <laughs> totally totally yeah. does and then, uh, if, you, if something if you use a a certain plastic that is too old then then and then you're wondering why the heck it's it's not working as it's supposed to be working it's, it's very finicky it's a really finicky thing people think it's so simple it's and you know ray was in in my interview with ray he was joking he's like it doesn't even a, he said even a child can operate a cnc machine all they have to do is push a button or a 3d printer yes and no i mean 
it's kind of funny. You know, he was talking about how he does everything old school, and and I mean, he has a point, but but still, maybe because he doesn't play with it that much, there's a lot of little variables and a lot of things that can go wrong with that. Yeah, and I and I I am appreciating that from my friends that do a lot of resin casting. Mm. And epoxy. That's work. really finicky stuff. And that is super finicky, and and um. Let me tell you one one issue I was having for the longest time, and nobody would teach it to me because I didn't know of anybody that did it in this town. Uh, everybody takes it for granted, you know. Uh, CA finish, cyanoacrylate. Okay, it, super glue. Super glue finishes. It, it, everybody says, "Oh, it's so easy, easy to do, easy to do." And I tried it, and the first. Um, of uh, pieces that I was finished with, finishing with CA glue. No, it wasn't easy. <laughs> I thought, it would, no, it, it's not. Eventually you figure out that it's only a certain type of CA that works. And then you start realizing that the, the CA has to be very fresh. And then you realize that the um, CA is hydrophilic and uh, it's affected by humidity. And you start getting into into all these things. Is is you're implasticating the wood, basically with CA. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. You're start starting to realize that this this material is so finicky. It ages. It is it attracts moisture, and when it attract attracts moisture, it's not good. And uh, to get the perfect CA finish, it takes it took me it took me probably about a year. To figure out wow. all the ins and outs of CA, so that now I'm confident. Okay, I'm going to CA this, and I know that it's going to be a perfect finish. Yeah. Or I didn't know, I didn't know all the variables of the CA until you start asking around, or, mm -hmm. or just out. trying it and saying, "Whoa, this is right. not what I was expecting." Exactly. Yeah. So with with plastics, I can imagine working with plastics. That is so finicky, though. Yes. And yes. You know what I discovered? I uh, because I do a lot of picture framing. Okay. I discovered I didn't know, I didn't know until like two years ago, that there is a blade that you can put in a table saw just to cut plastic. I always was wondering how come my 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 piece of plastic always have has these little uh, chips. Yeah, chips or, or like melted kind of ride up along the edge. Yeah, and I thought, hmm, I don't know. How can I avoid that? Now, it didn't bother me as much because when you're framing, that edge is hidden behind the frame itself. Nobody mm. could ever see it. So mm. it's not a big deal. But in the back of my mind, I thought, this is not quality. You know, you, 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 you have to, you can, I can do better than this. And then I was looking at a, at a, um, a chat group or whatever, and they were talking exactly about that. And somebody says, oh yeah, uh, Forest, which makes, uh, is a manufacturer of saw blades, okay. makes, a, uh, it makes a blade just for plastic that you can put on your regular table saw to cut plastic. Little things, just little things, right? Yeah, and then, and then that blade is like, uh, almost two hundred dollars. So you gotta really want to be cutting some plastic. I ordered a darn two hundred dollar blade. <laughs> so you were, you wanted that perfect cut on that plastic. Perfect, then. perfect cut. And guess what? It was a perfect cut. And you I got, got it. it. 
And and why is that? Because of the the way the teeth are heat. oriented on the blade, and the way the heat is dissipated, so that it doesn't melt the plastic. I was gonna say it has to be something to do with heat because I know anything like um, I use a Dremel, and uh -huh. when I when I use the uh, the spinning, uh, just a simple spinning blade on anything plastic, you either have to do it really slow. Or you just have to be doing a rough cut that you don't care about looking like you just Frankensteined it together because it, it always like melts up like exactly yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, so, so I finally figured out at least that part. So now uh, my framing inside and out looks perfect. <laughs> hey, there you go. I don't have to feel to feel kind of kind of like that weird feeling. Oh gosh, that plastic is a little bit chipped on the inside, you know. Although nobody's going to see it, you know that is chipped and you would like to improve it. Oh, well, that's what represents you from the rest. You know, a true artisan, a true a true artist, they appreciate and are aware of what things look like on the inside and the outside. Exactly. And, just, and it's just, it makes you feel better probably just to know, you say, okay, if I'm going to stick my name on this, Yep. Better, and if somebody really looks at this, I want this to look good from all sides, not just the front, like the theater pieces, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's it. And is there anything you've ever created by accident, or had this Gosh. strange accident, and then it turned out to be amazing? Uh, by accident. Oh yeah. gosh! And it was our Chopka peacocks. Initially, the Chopcup teacup was designed by a fellow that used to work for us called George Murray. And George Murray, very creative builder. And uh, what happened was that he was uh, putting the super duper gimmick on the cup and on the balls and everything in order to create this chop cup effect. And what happened was uh, he was using these rubber balls initially and then uh, one time he sent a batch and I was testing all the batches that he was making. Uh, he sent in a batch and uh, he was using these wooden balls and and mm. uh, and we thought it doesn't work the same way as the rubber balls and uh, and then I started playing with it with that with that chop cup. And then I thought, oh my gosh, it makes, uh, I love the wooden balls because I discovered I was doing a, okay. it's a movie it's in the Chop Cup book written by Mark Wilson. And this guy uh, was, what he did when he, um, he moved that Chop Cup, he actually shook the Chop Cup before revealing the ball. And that did two things. It uh, made, allowed the ball to appear and then did the revelation so that it would ab avoid the ball sticking to the secret, whatever of the chop thing. Comes. If you're a magician, you'll know what it is. So, so when I did that, it started making a bell sound. And when mm. you buy our chop cup teacups, it, 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 was, it was due to that mistake that George made. Oh, that's so cool. That instead of do giving us a rubber ball, he did the wooden balls. So he basically so, gave you the uh, the unique selling point on accident. <laughs> point of that of that trick, yeah. So th that's oh, cool. that's where a happy mistake, you know, makes the trick better. Yeah, yeah. So you looked at these things and you said, "Hey, wait a minute! I wanted the rubber ones." And then you started playing around. You're like, "Whoa! This is a whole new dimension. We got sound yeah. and yeah, 
exactly. And I forgot why awesome. he started doing with the wooden ones. It's because he couldn't find rubber balls that day or whatever, and he found that. And that's how these things always happen. It's kind of like you're not planning for them. It's, exactly. you know, sometimes occurs out of frustration. Then you're looking at it, and then you say, why was I so frustrated? This is actually better. And yes, exactly. And then, this... of course, you start finding ways of making the wooden balls in a more efficient way. You know, so so then we took over the making of the of the balls themselves, and then George was still making the cups, and then eventually, uh, uh, George eventually retired. So, so we're still making those those props. <laughs> but passed uh, passed it along to you guys. Pardon? Passed it along to you. Oh yeah, he passed it along to us. Yeah. Now I believe that you touched on this at the beginning. What inspired you to be a maker, Lupe? The uh, first making um, experience that I have for, for magic was working at Collector's Workshop when I used to live in Virginia. Where is the what workshop? Collector's Workshop. Do you remember Collector's Workshop? Collector's Workshop. Sorry, it broke up, but now we got it. Collector's Workshop, yes. It was a company in Virginia, in, yes. uh, in uh, uh, Middleburg, Virginia, that used to make fine, fine apparatus. And, but... I digress. Before that, my mentor for magic at that time was Scotty York. Great and mentor Scott, to have. Pardon? I see. Is that a great mentor to have? Oh, yeah. He was my mentor in magic in the late 1980s and early 1990s when I was living in Northern Virginia. And Scotty was a... Uh, he was a retired... He was, he, he was a, a mechanical engineer at the Department of Transportation in DC. And before he had that job as, a, as an engineer for the DOT, he was a mechanic. Hmm. He used to uh, own a car dealership as well. So he had his car dealership in Illinois where he was from. Then he eventually, of course, moved to DC. Now, because he was a mechanic, his whole garage was set up for fixing and repairing cars. And he was a very good welder. He had a good knowledge of do-it-yourself uh, items. And I remember he, uh, I was at his house and he got a prop that came in the mail. And I think it was a prop from Collector's Workshop. Hmm. And he opened the box and it was this, uh, this uh, uh, ring grinder or, of some sort. And it didn't have a bottom on it. And it, it, it bothered him. And he says, you know what? I'm going to put a bottom on this thing. So we went to his workshop and he took a piece of metal, a solder it on, on the, a brass on the, on the box that was already a manufactured trick. So he decided to modify that trick. Okay. He modify it. He uh, soldered it. He uh, polished it or whatever. It looked like a million bucks. He... He improved the trick that already uh, came to him in the mail. So that, and then I thought that is pretty cool. You're not only you're not building the trick from scratch. You are, you are improving the trick. You're doing whatever you want. With the freedom, the, there's no limits. The freedom, right? Words, just because you buy the trick that from a magic uh, supplier, uh, and it comes to you, and there is a certain aspect that you don't like about it. Well, don't don't be limited. Just change it. That is a great mindset to have, and that's that's exactly. probably 
seems to me like Scotty York kind of set you on that right path, especially with just when, when you learn from the first woodworking teacher about not going by the cut list, right? It's the same kind of mentality. So, so uh, uh, sometimes uh, uh, people that are not makers uh, call and they say, well, why isn't this prop like this or like that or whatever, whatever. And what they don't realize is that this prop is probably made as part of a batch. It's not a custom item. So when you get a prop, don't get, don't uh, allow the way that the prop is made to limit you, <laughs> change it, <laughs> go ahead and, and make changes to it. Uh, go ahead and paint it in a different way. If, if your style is completely different and the, and the prop is too cheesy in the paint job, paint it a different way. You know, don't, don't let that, it's just a prop, you know, it's just a prop. Just, you know, go to Home Depot, buy some spray paint and, and paint it to your style. That's uh, great. Yeah, I, I, and, and people, people, I think, again, go, going back to like the a core life concept, right? People get stuck in this mentality where they think, Oh, I'm in this certain situation that I cannot change. I and because they're making the assumption that that's just the way it is. I bought exactly. this thing. That's the way it's supposed to look. Not necessarily, no. Because people are inventing new things all the time, and they, the people that invent things and come up with the next greatest things, they are the ones that are willing. I think, like, they break stuff. You know, they like to, <laughs> they like to take stuff and go. Oh, what's that? Oh, I broke it. Oh, let's put it back together, and it turns out to be ten times better. Yeah. So, so basically, that was inspirational to see Scotty modifying a trick that came in the mail. Yeah. He didn't like it. Okay, I'm going to add uh, this other thing to the prop. Love it. So, I love it. So eventually, it was Scotty that introduced me to the guys at Collectors Workshop, and I I got to meet Nick Ruggiero uh, and Jane. J uh, he was married to Jane Smith who was Les Smith's daughter. And as you know, Les Smith used to own Owen Magic Supreme hmm. in California. So, and they, and then and Nick Ruggiero was in partnership with Rich Block. And then they owned Collector's Workshop at the time. Got it. So, so uh, uh, years later, uh, they had a job opening and uh, I got the job and I was working with them for about two years. And that's when a, a whole world of, of magic, uh, of, of um, prop making, the prop making business opened, yes. opened to me. And it was really cool to see the, the whole workshop had, uh, I would say, two master cabinet makers. They were not magicians. And then everybody else, the rest of us, we were just assisting. Now I was I was a rookie there, so they gave me all the all the dirty little jobs that nobody wanted to do, like making springs. That was that's a thankless job to make springs. <laughs> uh, polishing that was a thankless job too, or making little teensy metal parts for whatever trick they were working on. All little important yeah. things though. They're little, but they I mean you need good springs. Oh, you need good make, you need the, the person that polishes that brass, you know. If, so. if you don't have, if you have something left unpolished, you know, what good is that? It doesn't look museum quality. So, so it was, it was a great learning experience. And uh, the other part of my job there was to do the bookkeeping. So I saw exactly uh, the numbers on that shop. And I, I thought to myself, 
gee, you don't make any money making magic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I didn't want to say it, but I figured you were going to go there. <laughs> yeah, you don't make any money doing this. So it was, it was a good, a great learning experience. Which probably, and, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. And, and then, and Nick didn't like to hire magicians. I was probably the first or second magician that he had hired in that, in Collector's Workshop. Well, I wonder then, why that was. Uh, well, magicians uh, tend Flaky. to uh, want to, be per to perform, mm. and they, they don't uh, want to put the time to learn how to build things. I would say that's generally true. Yes, most m most magicians they want to just buy the thing and do it, and do it and uh, rather than build it. Yeah. So, so Nick uh, hired people that just were were woodworkers. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and in my case, uh, I was a, because I was the magician there, a, I was that I used to test the things that the other guys made. And some guys were really upset at me sometimes because I remember, um, do you remember the jumbo sidekick trick? I've heard of it. Jumbo sidekick is, yeah. jumbo sidekick. oh yes, 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 yes. The big cards and the person takes the, the fake gun and they knock the exactly. stuff off. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, so that, that trick relies uh, on woodworking. It relies, and I'm going to reveal one little secret, uh, electronics. Yeah. Very electronic, uh, complicated thing to, to achieve the movement of certain parts at a certain moment in the routine. Right. It was complicated. So uh, I remember one day, Skip, who was one of the master craftsmen there, gave me a batch of 24 jumbo sidekicks. He put, put them on my bench. Here, I finished this, test them. And the following day, I came back and I gave him 18 back. Here, <laughs> fix them. <laughs> he was really upset at me. He said, don't work. And then, he, because he was a woodworker, blame the guy with the electronics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He didn't want to make all that stuff all over again, right? Exactly. He didn't want to fix them, you know. But uh, eventually everything got fixed because... Too proud of his work. Exactly. Who's so this was... newbie magician telling me my stuff does it? That's exactly what he was thinking. Yeah, so so that was that. So it was, he gave me 24, 6 worked, you know, I gave him... Wow, 18 were crap, and you're just like, nope, So So they not happening. to argue with the electronics guy. Yeah. And between the electronics guy and the woodworking guy, they eventually got it over. They hashed it out, right? <laughs> they said, it's all Lupe's fault. She told me, no, it was you, no, it was you. She doesn't know how to do the trick. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're telling me they're all wrong because she actually doesn't know how it works. See, I built the thing. That's probably what it, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's, it's just hilarious, you know? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you it's, which, which is a good lesson, right? To take pride in your work, but never to discount the feedback of others and others that are not even in your field per se, or, or it could be beginners in your field, or, yeah. you know, like with with magic. And I'm sure this happened a million times with, with uh, you and Norm. You know, you guys are working on a routine, and um, somebody else will suggest something, and that somebody is like not a magician. They don't know anything about it, and it's just like this random offhand comment from, from a layperson, and you go, hey, I didn't even think, that's, that's really weird. Never thought of that one. 
That's actually a great idea. And then it's like yeah. these ideas, they come from people where you least expect it. Yeah, and listen to your audience. And your, listening to your audience, yes. Your audience will tell you uh, what you're doing right or wrong. I agree. I agree. A lot of people don't listen to their audience and they go, yeah. how come it doesn't get the right response? Start yeah. opening your ears, right? Listen, look. Exactly. Take in the feedback. Is there anybody currently that you, we talked about Scotty York, York, Y-O-R-K, like New York. Is there anybody currently that you look up to in the makerspace, whether it be woodworking or magic? Uh, makerspace, uh, well, it, not, not as much as a makerspace. Well, there's a, um, uh, I have a, my current mentor, a teacher for wood turning is, his name is Jimmy Clues. He's here in town. And, uh, and anytime I have any questions regarding wood turning, He's the, he's the man. He's uh, one of the top uh, 20 wood turners in the world. Wow, lucky you. Uh, he happens to be in our backyard. So That's people so from cool. the world come here to Las Vegas to learn from him. And uh, he and his wife has be have become uh, good friends. And we uh, see each other often. But uh, it's, it's, he's a good resource to have for wood turning, for instance. And, Perfect. Um, uh, maker space there there are so many people out there uh that that uh, you, you admire there is um and it has nothing to do with magic there is this gal that i follow and she does something that i i don't do which is wood carving and okay she's in, uh, she's in russia okay she, they're like, they're big on that in russia they do a lot of wood carving in russia yeah and she is into carving and i follow her avidly and she's at, on uh, Instagram as Tatbal Carvings. And she's like a virtuoso in chip carving, which is an aspect of carving that a few people do in the world. You, you actually carve a, a, on, a, on a piece of wood using a little knife, and you create little chips of wood. Like an X-Acto knife, just kind of... Like an X-Acto knife, but it's, it's more than an X-Acto knife. But, but uh, she just uh, chip carves. Hmm. And, uh, she spends eight to 14 hours a day chip carving. She does, wow. That's what she does. And she's in her early 20s. So, and she's a virtuoso. She, she's the best chip carver I have ever seen. So it's like mesmerizing to see this, this woman work. And, and what was the name again? Tatbal, Tatiana Bal, uh, Baldina, I think that's her last name. But it's Tatbal, T-A-T-B-A-L carvings. There's another fellow that I follow. His name is Carl Jacobson, and he's uh, he's a wood turner and he's a general practitioner as far as wood turning is. Uh, if people want him to make something, he just makes it. He just goes ahead and makes it and, and does a whole video, YouTube video on it. Or what a nice guy! Wow, look at that. Yeah. So he it, 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 <laughs> people ask him, "Do you have a signature piece?" No. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> if they want me to demo. These are that I'll figure it out and I'll turn it. See, because he's probably another person. He doesn't take everything so seriously, right? Exactly. <laughs> he's so. just having fun with it. Now, before we go, are there any resources that you recommend to anyone interested in this kind of uh, woodworking? You know, because this might be very appealing to people who are just learning about Lupe or listening to Lupe talk right now. You know, she did mention that uh, woodworking is very forgiving. 
So uh, if people are interested and want to take this up and start messing around on their own. And my father, who was an, an electrical engineer, used to uh, tell us was a, whatever you want to do in life, you just have to do it. You, it I mean, enough of, of uh, being an armchair wood, woodworker on YouTube. <laughs> you know, don't, don't watch videos all day long. You just have to do it. Uh, the, uh, there's there, or like if you do, if you perform magic, you just have to go out there and perform it for real. Yeah. Magic. Reading about it and, and watching videos on it's not going to make you a better That's performer. Right. You are out there and doing it. Uh, so same thing with woodworking or with making anything. So, uh, like for instance, if you're interested in woodworking, uh, in your local city or local town, try to find a community college or a, um, uh, night school or uh, any uh, there might be there might be a workshop or a, a club out there where there are woodworkers mm -hmm. if you're starting to, to use the tools uh, make sure that uh, I would recommend you to take a few basic classes so that at least you can learn how to use your tools without having any accidents yeah that's important yeah it's very important so a uh, woodworking is is not a safe completely safe thing you can be very safe in it but you have to learn how to use the tools so that's the most most uh, important thing and once you learn to use the basic tools then the sky is the limit then you have to figure out okay now that you you know your tools what is it that you want to do with this knowledge you want to make a magic prop you want to make furniture you want to carve you want to finish what is it that you want to do and then just focus on that and uh, once you start again, like in the world of magic, uh, it, you you start with magic. You join the local magic clubs and start mm -hmm. meeting the people around you. Mm -hmm. Then you start deciding what is it that you want to do. Do you want to do stage magic? Do you want to do close-up parlor? What is it that fascinates you? And and you start through there. Eventually, you'll find clubs. You'll find your magazines. And look in the back where where the good schools are around in the in the in your area or in the United States. So there okay. there's many schools in the United States that you can go to. And exactly. uh, Lupe, you are among the best. You are among the the fascinating creative people makers that uh, has such a great outlook on what you do and life in general. And that's exactly why I have you here on Making Magic for my audience. I know they're gonna appreciate everything that you've had to say. And uh, finally, Lupe, where can listeners and viewers learn more about you and your magic that you create? Well, uh, I have uh, two websites. The main website is, and is what I, I make a living on, which is okay. the magic, making okay. props for magicians, is nnmagic.com. N, N as in Norm Nielsen. Uh, for Norm Nielsen, uh, so it's n n two ns magic.com. So that's the 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 uh, my meat and potatoes website. Got it. Then I have uh, a side website that I haven't really updated as much because I'm mostly making the props for the magicians. But from time to time, I do uh, some uh, local crafts fairs. So hmm. I have to separate my woodworking from the magic because I'm selling a regular everyday items to lay people. I'm not selling them magic tricks. 
So my other sure. website is iworkwithwood.com. Iworkwithwood.com. Nice, nice. Good domain choice. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and then on Instagram, you can see my life story on Instagram on <laughs> nnmagic.lupe, my name, L-U-P-E. nnmagic.lupe, L-U-P-E on Instagram. Instagram and wow that's that's uh, yeah so follow Lupe on Instagram check out check out what she, the amazing things that she does for magicians she has quite the reputation legend made legendary props and 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 articles for magicians made out of wood over the years all handcrafted yeah, all, all handcrafted. made with love and care right there in Vegas Las Vegas yep. Yeah, I don't know if it's legendary, but I try to be to, to take a lot of pride in my work. I'm okay. trying to hype you up, Lupe. I'm trying to give you more more respect I here. Know. Keep the hype. <laughs> I do what I can. That's 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 what we do. You're awesome. it's, You're awesome, Sean. Thank you, thank you, Lupe, and you are awesome. And ladies and gentlemen, this was an insightful, fascinating conversation into the life of a pro woodworker like uh, Lupe Nielsen. And you've been watching and listening to. Making Magic. It's another episode of the Making Magic podcast. Thank you so much again for taking the time out of your day to check this out. If you enjoy the content, please subscribe. There's a little red button below. Like the video, turn on the notifications. You know what to do. Or if you're just listening to the sound of our voice on uh, Spotify or any of the podcast apps, follow the show. You can listen and learn and be inspired while you're driving the car or cleaning up around the house. So uh, thank you so much, guys, again. Thank you, Lupe, for joining me on Making Magic, and we'll see you guys on the next episode.